0: So good, Betty. Rick, is that song going to be in our musical? Wow. It's good enough to be. Man, I. are you going to sing that in the second service, Betty? Good. I think I'll come to the second service today. <laughs> Bringing people to Jesus, turning the word of God to Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. We'll read through this. I'll make some Bible study comments, and then I want to draw three important points of application on bringing people to Jesus. It is the Christmas season and certainly Jesus came that people might be brought to him. May we be like the shepherds who just had to tell everyone they saw about Jesus whom they saw in the manger. We're emphasizing our special Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Uh, Our goal is $20,000. That's a lot for a church our size, but we've, by God's grace, done it before, and we believe we're going to do it again. This offering goes directly to the missionaries, over 5,000 foreign missionaries throughout the world, bringing people to Jesus. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And again, he entered Capernaum. Capernaum was uh, Jesus' central... uh, area of ministry uh, during the Galilean ministry. It uh, was on the northwest coast of the Sea of Galilee. had a population of about 1,500 people. It was the home of Simon Peter and James and John and also Matthew the tax collector. There was a tax collecting center located in Capernaum. And there was also a garrison of Roman soldiers, about 100 soldiers that stayed there all the time. Uh, It was on a very busy thoroughfare, and a lot of people would come in and out and go through Capernaum. Most theologians feel that uh, he was in Simon Peter's house, that that's where this happened. Uh, We can't be 100% dogmatic, but uh, I feel that way because just before this, He's in Simon Peter's house, and he heals Simon Peter's mother-in-law. Simon, of course, was one of the apostles that was married. We learn that later on in Corinthians from the Apostle Paul. So he's in Capernaum. Uh, He had a place to lay his head there. He said the Son of Man uh, has no place to lay his head, and I don't believe he ever had a home as far as his own house or home. But he had plenty of people who welcomed him. And this was one of the homes where he stayed. It was heard that he was in the house. News spread quickly. Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. I mean, the throngs of people were so great that uh, the little narrow door to this house... Oh, did I tell you, by the way, archaeologists think they have uncovered the site. If you take a tour of the Holy Land and you go to Capernaum, they built a church over what they're pretty sure was Simon Peter's house, which was close to the synagogue. And uh, on this occasion, though, the crowd was so great, thronged in the house and around the house that there's no way you could get through the door to where Jesus was. And he preached the word to them. Jesus was a great miracle worker, but don't forget the main reason he came was to preach the word and to share the gospel. Go back just a moment to chapter 1, verse 38. He states this mission to his disciples. He said, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. Now there's a lesson to be learned there. The church needs to be in the benevolence ministry. Amen? I mean, boy, we need to be feeding the hungry, we need to be clothing. Uh, the naked and we need to be visiting the sick and visiting those that are in prison. The church needs to be at the front of the line when it comes to compassionate, benevolent ministries. But church, don't ever forget our main purpose and what differentiates us from some worldly benevolent society is we preach the saving message of Jesus Christ. Don't ever forget that. Jesus always kept that in the front of things. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic. It's the only time in the whole Gospel of Mark that he mentions Jesus healing someone that was paralyzed. He was carried by four men, and when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was, so that when they had broken through, and this word means literally dug through. Back in that day, the houses often would have a flat roof And uh, on that roof, they would sometimes go to pray. And sometimes at night, it would be cool, and they would sleep up there on that flat roof. And they would have stairways on the outside of the house leading up to the roof. Now, the roofs in those days, uh, uh, they were comprised of some planks or boards. And then you would put uh, branches and lesser sticks and boards across those boards, crisscrossed them and then you would mix grasses with uh, mud and clay, and uh, it would bake in that arid sun, and that was the roof, and it would harden. But it wasn't uh, like our roofs today. Uh, it was a roof that was able to be broken into, two. And that's what they did. They couldn't get to him through the door, so they climb up with the paralyzed guy and his mat, and get on the roof and dig through, push through. And they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, I think their faith refers to the four. I think their faith refers to the paralyzed man. Does Jesus see your faith today? When he saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Wow, this is different. Sometimes Jesus just healed people. And on other occasions, Jesus healed people and he saw they wanted to be saved and so he saved them. In this case, before he even heals this man, he looks into his heart and he sees he's got a desire to be forgiven, a desire to be saved. And before he even heals him, he saves him. He forgives his sin. He sees a repentant heart. He sees a trusting heart. It's really an awesome miracle. I don't know of any miracle. And by the way, this miracle is recorded in all three of the synoptic or alike Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And remember, John said in the last chapter of John that if, if they recorded all the things Jesus did, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to contain them. So every miracle that you find that the Holy Spirit led the Gospel writers to record, in every miracle there's a message. So don't ever miss the message in those special miracles the Holy Spirit led the writers Uh, To record. And so Jesus forgives his sin. He heals him spiritually, the most important healing of all. Well, whenever God does a work, guess what? Satan will rear his ugly head, and he does this through the uh, ritualistic religious crowd who had no relationship with God. Verse 6 And some of the scribes were sitting there. And reasoning in their heart, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? You know, the reason that they crucified Jesus is they accused him of blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? You know what? They were right. The thing they missed is that Jesus was God, and therefore he could forgive sin. But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within himself, Another proof that he's God is that he knows what people are thinking. He said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. So Jesus gave them a sign to show he does have authority to forgive sins. And the sign was his authority over. Uh, apparently this guy was like a quadriplegic. It took four men to bring him to G. He was severely paralyzed. Immediately he arose, took up his bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. But when I read the book of Acts... In chapter 2 about the early church, one of the things that stands out is they were always in awe at what God was doing. When was the last time you were in awe about something God did in your life? Any of you been in awe this week about anything? When was the last time this church was in awe because God was so working in our midst? I mean, we serve a great God. And uh, we need to be in awe a lot more than we are because of God working in our midst. Well, let me share with you three things that I think will be used by God to cause us to be in awe. Three things involved in bringing people to Jesus, and that's carrying out the Great Commission. It's what it's about. First of all, these four guys were caring You know what their names were? No, you don't. Their names aren't given. This miracle, as I said, was recorded in all three Gospels. There's no miracle like it anywhere else in the Gospels. And yet the four names of these guys are not given. But something better is given than their names, their character. And you know what their character is named? Caring. Were they kin to this guy? that they carried to Jesus? I don't know. Were they friends to this guy? I don't know. Were they just passing by? They heard Jesus was in town and they saw him. They're on the roadside begging. I don't know, but I know one thing. They cared. They cared enough to bring this man to Jesus. That's always where it begins. One of my favorite professors in seminary. I mean, he was in his mid 70s. And uh, he said, uh, The other day I told my wife, I'm feeling kind of bad. I can't remember all the students' names like I used to. And he said, My wife said, Well, is it that you can't remember or is it that you don't care like you used to? Uh oh. Uh oh. That's always what we need to look at first. Jesus was moved with compassion. We read that about him again and again and again. There's an old saying. I invented this after I read it. People don't care how much you know till they what? Know how much you care. Jesus said in John 13, 35, by This, your love for one another, the world will know that you are my disciples. So I ask the question to myself. I want you to ask the question to you. And I want us to ask the question to us as a church collectively. When people look at you, what characterizes you? Criticism? Condemnation? Complacency? Complacency? caring they care where it began secondly they cooperated boy did they cooperate I mean they had to work together right I mean you're talking about four guys here I don't know whether two were on the front and the back on the end and two on the sides or there were uh, four on the four uh, each on a corner I'm not sure but I know one thing they cooperated they had to Remember, they had to go up those stairs carrying this guy. How many of you, and you'll remember this if you've done it, how many of you have ever helped someone move upstairs? Raise your hand. Because you will not forget it if you've ever had to move, especially if you've had to move a couch that had a sleeper bed in it. And I want to give you some advice. If you ever have to help move someone upstairs, and you're moving a heavy couch, get on the top side of that thing. Okay? You don't want to be. I mean, these guys didn't say, "Wait, I'm sorry. I can't carry the. I can't carry the front here. Uh-uh, I belong to the." Uh, the Episc Church of the back end. I can't carry the front end of this stretcher. And the one on the left side said, I'm, "I'm I can't carry." On the right side, I I am I'm a, I'm a, a liberal. <laughs> I got to carry on the left side. I mean, what if what if they'd get? Oh, no, I don't want to carry. No, they just they just work together. They saw a more important goal: bringing a man to Jesus. Now, sometimes we need to draw a line and have differences. If it is a major doctrine, I'm sorry, we can't compromise. If it is a clear-cut morality issue, I'm sorry, we can't compromise. But the sad matter of the fact is that most churches today argue and fuss and gossip About such secondary things. It's pathetic. It is not about you. It doesn't matter which corner you take. Grab a corner, cooperate. We need to be bringing people to Jesus. They cooperated. And then lastly, they were committed. Several years ago when my grandson, he's 18 now. But when he was much smaller, he wanted me to go see this, this movie. I just remember it was about Shark Boy and Lava Girl. I did, oh. And it was 3D. Have you ever been to a 3D movie? You have to wear these crazy glasses, and it's not cool when you already have trifocals on. But it blew my mind. I mean, it was like Shark Boy was right there in my face. Well, I want to give you a 3D illustration about their commitment. First of all, they were determined. What would you have done? You got to the doorway, the crowd's there. I'm sorry. We tried. But there's just no way we're going to... No, sir. There was a life at stake. There was a soul at stake. They were determined. We quit too easy. Well, I used to teach a Sunday school class, but so-and-so gossiped about me. Well, I used to sing in the choir, but so-and-so, I don't care for them. I used to, I used to, but, 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 but. Boy, you really are taking up your cross and following Jesus, aren't you? Boy, they were determined. If the door's shut here, we'll seek another door to be opened. They were daring I mean, don't you think they got out of their comfort zone digging a hole in Simon Peter's roof? Remember Simon Peter? You don't want to mess with Simon Peter. Jesus made it clear. He said, Simon, when you were young, you, you went where you wanted to go. I mean, it's a wonder Simon Peter didn't see him digging a hole in his roof and say to his, his brother Andrew and to the sons of thunder, James, John, let's go upstairs. We're going to clean house. These guys were daring. (coughs) Why don't we get out of our comfort zone sometime to bring people to Jesus Christ? I had to ask Rick the name of this guy, Felix Snipes. Felix Snipes is kind of from years back. I imagine he's in heaven now. And uh, he is a Christian magician, but he makes it clear it is not dark magic. It is not demonic magic. It's not like the magicians in the Old Testament that were condemned uh, by Israel. No, no, it's just sleight of hand. And uh, he would come to your church, usually a Sunday through a Tuesday night, And he was a great singer, and he would would practice with the choir, and they would sing beautiful specials, and he would do a a little magic trick, and he would illustrate the gospel. He gave the plan of salvation as clear as anybody I've ever heard in my life. You ever heard of Felix Snipes, Gary? What was weird is we had him at Peterson Lake, and I had this dear African-American lady call and say, Are you having Wesley Snipes? No, ma'am, Felix. Oh, well, I love Wesley Snipes. I said, well, please come here, Felix Snipes. I don't think she came. But anyway, that guy was a hit with the children. I mean, the church, it didn't take long. Those kids began to spread the news. They had to pack the pew night, and you'd be given a big family Bible. In fact, one of the little Deering children got that family Bible. It was bigger than they were because they had invited more people. It was amazing. But we had one guy in our church. He was King James only. If it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. I mean, he would rather fight than swim. Oh, he was a troublemaker. If it wasn't this, is was something else. And man, he criticized me for having a magician in the church. I can't believe it. Blasphemy. Oh, it was a headache. Well, Felix Snipes was gone. It had to have been a year, Marcia can remember, two years after that. We were at a restaurant, standing in the line, getting ready to go to the counter and to be seated. And uh, this little boy looked at me and said, Mama, Mama, that's, that's Brother Jack. I was saved in your church when Felix Snipes was there. And that wasn't the only one. Two or three other times. I mean, for years to come, we would run into kids that wouldn't recognize me because Felix said he was going to turn me into a rabbit. I said, it'll be a jackrabbit. <laughs> it, folks, I'll probably never have another magician. But I knew the Holy Spirit led me to folks. Sometimes we're going to have to get out of our comfort zone and do some daring things to bring people to Jesus. The last D, they were dirty. What do I mean? There wasn't a shovel. There wasn't a pickaxe. They had to use their bare hands to dig through that old dirt, floor or roof, whatever you want to call it. Are you willing to get dirty to win people to Christ? These missionaries that go to these countries where the oh my they have so few conveniences there they're willing to get dirty to identify with those in need during the Revolutionary War there was a captain and there was a big tree that had fallen across the road and he stayed on his horse and he told his two men that were with him and under him to move that tree. And the tree was so big and they were just trying all they could to move this tree that had fallen over the road and and they weren't making much progress. And all of a sudden this big man on a white stallion rides up, gets off his horse and he's so big and strong and he helps the two lower soldiers move that tree off the road. And he gets back on his white stallion and the captain who was too good to help the men, he said, and sir, who may I say helped us today? He said, you may say General George Washington. Folks, we got to be willing to go to the highways, the byways. We got to be willing to sacrifice. We got to be willing to get dirty to bring people to Jesus Sometimes are you, am I, is the church. And you know what's neat? The Bible's always about Jesus. He got dirty, didn't he? He left his heavenly throne and the praise of angels to come down here and to put on human flesh and identify with a fallen, sinful human race. And on that cross, God made him who knew no sin. Talking about being made dirty. God made him who knew no sin to be a sin payment and offering for us that we may be made the righteousness of God in him. What a wonderful God. Are you wanting to be like Jesus? He cooperated with the Father's will. Even not my will, but thy will be done. He cared. He so loved the world. And he was committed to go to Calvary. Let's stand together and we'll bow for prayer and then Rick's going to lead us in a hymn of invitation. Would you stand with me and would you pray with me this morning? Bringing people to Jesus, that's, that's the great commission. Oh, Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit will take the message today and speak to our hearts about it. I know uh, you did me. Uh, Lord, I wrote a little about this in my newsletter article, and you just kept it on my heart so much, I just knew I had to preach about it today. And Lord, I just pray this won't just be another summer where we come to church and we go home and we forget. I I pray that it'll be a heart-changing, a a life-changing, a transforming time, not because I'm a great preacher or Rick's a great singer or... The building's a beautiful building, but because of your holy word, and you're a great God. And so, Lord, I pray today if there are those that need to make decisions as Christians and need to commit themselves to being more caring and more cooperative, lay some petty things aside. It's not worth fussing and being divided over. And if there's some Christians here today and when they look into their own heart, they don't see care and commitment. They, they see criticism and condemnation and complacency. I pray Christians might get some things right here today. And Lord, if there's somebody that could stand here and realize how you have come and died and suffered So that we might be saved. I pray they won't be able to do that anymore. And that today would be the day that they would come and give their heart to the God who loves them so much and died for their sins on Calvary. If God would have you to move your church letter today, just come forward during this invitation time and let us know. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.